Welcome back to another edition of the Cats Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host and publisher, Justin Rowland, joined again, I'm very happy to say, by our managing editor, photographer, Jeff Drummond. And uh, Jeff has been covering the Cats this week throughout practice and their time leading up to the trip to Gainesville, uh, the annual game against Florida. So we got a lot to talk about. Jeff, how are you doing? Hey, doing well, Justin. Uh just excited to kind of get into the SEC part of the schedule, even though it, it always feels a little bit weird coming in, in week two. I, I kind of like the old days when you got to ease into it with two or three non-conference games. Um, so you know a little bit about your personnel before uh, diving in there head first, but uh, it's go time. And the college football schedule this week is absolutely atrocious. I mean, it is a horrible schedule of college football games. I would say... I mean, unless you're a diehard fan, a lot of people aren't going to be watching any college football. There's Georgia, South Carolina. You know, Kentucky-Florida is about as good as just about any other game besides that Georgia-South Carolina game, I would say. And I think people are going to be tuning in um, because they're going to be interested in in Florida under Dan Mullen. Was, was what Felipe Franks and that offense showed in week one a sign of things to come? Was it fool's gold? Kentucky is definitely going to be a, a much steeper test for uh, for Florida than Charles, Charleston Southern was. Just before we get into specifics and the nuts and bolts of, of this game, Jeff, what are your thoughts, your, your, your general thoughts on where Kentucky is at after Central Michigan and, and where the team is going into Florida right now? Well, I think you have to split it up probably into, you know, offense and defense and, and looking at offense, I think we still have a lot of question marks. Uh, we didn't get much resolved last week, uh, even though the offensive line performed uh, to our expectations, at least in the running game and, and took care of business. They, they rushed for almost 300 yards. Uh, Benny Snell was really good. AJ Rose was, it was nice to see him break out with a, a 100-yard game and a, and a long touchdown road to run to give them a, a bit of a spark. But everything kind of goes back to we're, we're still in the same place we were when camp started uh, earlier this summer. We just don't know what to expect for the quarterback position. And I think until we see them uh, down there under fire uh, against a, a really typically athletic and, and talented board of defense, uh, we're not going to know that much more about where this team is headed. I mean, my take on it, on the quarterback play, was they were obviously very, very poor. And, you know, Rivals has a new partnership with Pro Football Focus, which we're going to be able to get into a bunch of analytics and data that we've never had before. And they, they rated both Terry Wilson and Gunnar Hoke as the two lowest performing players on Kentucky's offense by far. And when those are your two quarterbacks, that's – that's concerning. My takeaway was um, I kind of wanted to pump the brakes on the Hoke enthusiasm because, you know, we've seen quarterbacks come in and, and do it in, in, a, in a pinch, in a bind, in a first drive. We saw that with Drew Barker against Vanderbilt a couple of years ago. Um, and, and then defenses adjust, and I think that's kind of what happened with Hoke in the second half. My, my take is, you know, Wilson has to protect the ball long term to grow into the kind of quarterback Kentucky needs him to be, but he is still – because he's a he's a much more dynamic athlete, because he can get to the edge, spread the defense out, do a lot of the things running the ball that Steven Johnson did, even potentially more so. I've I've thought that he's he's a better option. So I wasn't surprised to see him named again the starter this week. What's your what's your general take on 
on the quarterback situation, kind of the debate that, that's gone on with regards to that? Yeah, I'm, I'm generally optimistic when it comes to, to Terry Wilson, just in talking to the staff, uh, sometimes on record, sometimes off record. They, they feel very good about him and his ability to kind of build on and even expand on the things that Steven Johnson did. He's kind of a, in, in raw talent terms, an, an upgraded 2.0 version of, of Steven Johnson. And I, I'm taking the approach that, you know, a lot of times you see the, the big growth between games one and, and games two, that, that leap that they take. And I think we'll see some more good things out of him. I even think that maybe the playbook will be expanded a little bit to show a little bit more what he's capable of. I'm, I don't think they wanted to put everything out there uh, against Central Michigan, even though, once again, it seems like we go back to this about every season, but they were kind of forced to to, to play that one a little bit harder than, than would, would have been expected because, uh, uh, you know, they had a one-point game at halftime and Central Michigan had shown they were, they were capable of pulling the upset if Kentucky didn't. Uh, kind of pull out some stops and take care of business. We saw Wilson on the field with Kentucky in the Wildcat formation. I want to say he was out there four times, and they motioned him a couple of times. Uh, they didn't, you know, do any trickeration. They didn't get too cute, too fancy with it. But I would be surprised if they don't try something new or show something new out of that this week. It looked like they were they were setting it up. It seems like the Wildcat could could – have a little bit of a resurgence this week, you know. And I, I threw a question out there on the on the House of Blue, the message board earlier this week. Just what kind of game plan should Kentucky have? And I started working from the premise that like I don't, I don't think that Terry Wilson is ready to execute the kind of sound, consistent, fundamentally con- fundamentally consistent kind of 60-minute game plan that Steven Johnson did at South Carolina last season. I just, I think there's too much potential for miscues if this becomes like a game where there's like 10 possessions and um, you're not being more aggressive. But but I think people kind of argued me out of that, you know, saying you can't, you can't make Kentucky something they're not. It would be a bad idea to go into the swamp and just scrap your kind of ball control game plan and try to try to be a team that you're not. So, what kind of game plan do you think we'll see from them, and and what what would you say is is probably smart smart money for Kentucky offensively? Yeah, I, th- I think you have to go with a heavy dose of uh, Benny Snell in, in this one and try to shorten this game. Now, a lot of people may not be crazy to hear that, <laughs> especially from the crowd that that's still kind of lobbying for UK to fling the ball around yeah. fifty times a game. But I, I think that would be a recipe for disaster in the swamp with what we've seen from, from Terry so far. Now, he needs to kind of pick his spots, and that'll be the the biggest challenge for Eddie Grant, I think, is is knowing when he's kind of got that Florida defense lured in around the line of scrimmage uh, with, with Benny running effectively, which we think he, he will, to take some shots down the field. And, and, you know, we've been preaching this for three years, but they got to start taking advantage of, of C.J. Conrad, too. And I've gotten to a point where I've, I've almost given up on <laughs> that materializing and ever happening. But it, it's just amazing to me that they have somebody that talented and that highly regarded uh, by scouts at the NFL level that they just never can get the ball to. It's really crazy. You know, he started out with a huge game against Southern Miss at the start of last season, and then it seems like opponents 
quickly adjusted and adapted. And it's like they, they never really like counter to the defense's adjustments to Conrad. It's like they just kind of um, move on to, to different to other things. And, you know, I think they, they target him four times. He had three catches for something like a paltry nine yards. He might have drawn a pass interference call. I think, in, in that first week. But everything was within, like, 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And it just seems like they never... I understand it this year because they got a new quarterback. But it seems like if he's not the first read on one of these, like, short little crossing patterns, shallow crossing patterns, or occasionally a seam route, if he's not the first read, he almost never gets the ball. And, I, and the numbers show he, he had 44 snaps in the first game. 29 of them, he was he was blocking the run. Three blocking the pass. He ran 12 routes, but Kentucky's like historically a 65 to 70 percent run team whenever Conrad's in the game. When it's a passing situation, he comes out, David Bovier comes in, and um, I, I'm with you. I, I, they got to find a way to get him the ball. So, um, who, who do you think has to step up and have a big offensive game other than Terry Wilson, other than Benny Snell, for Kentucky to have a chance? Well, I think the left tackles are going to be in the spotlight again uh, because Florida certainly has people capable of, of creating pressure off the edge with their athleticism and, and, and explosion. Uh, those guys, it's going to be a whole different animal, you know, from, from last week. And we saw while um, both guys played pretty well, I think, in the run game and sometimes very well. Uh, in the past game, there were there were a few little breakdowns here and there uh, that kind of have to concern you when you step up the level of competition to, to a Florida defense. So I'm going to say the, the left tackles are one that, that really has to shine. And on the other end, they've got to get more out of uh, Lynn Bowden. Uh, just, you know, he's another guy whose athleticism and, and potential is sky high. And, um, you know, we just didn't see enough out of him last week other than a few kind of horizontal type deals where they they got in the ball in the flat and a little short uh, quick patterns I'd like to see them you know maybe take some shots with him down the field what do you think the issue is with Bowden because like we we hear so much about him and ever since he's gotten to campus we've heard that he's this dynamic guy he's going to help take the offense to the next level We've never seen this kind of talent around the Kentucky program, but the numbers just frankly don't back it up right now. You look at somebody like Rondell uh, Moore at Purdue. I mean, his debut, I don't think Bowden has a touchdown yet in about 14 games at Kentucky into his career. To me, it looks like it, it seems very forced when they're trying to get him the ball, and I don't think that there's bad blocking on the outside. It looks like his first move is to kind of shuffle and square his body up, and by the time he does that and kind of surveys the defense, he starts going east-west. There's just not enough forward explosive movement. And my other theory is every team, because of limited practice time, because of you know personnel restrictions, scarcity in general, has a bread and butter something that they've got to be able to do so they work on it more than they work on everything else and for Kentucky that's kind of the power inside run game and you know if you're not a spread team it's hard to incorporate spread personnel as as successfully as you know maybe some other some other programs do what's your what's your theory on Bowden and and what maybe the solution yeah you know you you make a really good point with uh if you're not a spread team it's it's kind of hard to get out there in that that personnel and 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 try to do it and and i think kentucky is kind of conflicted at times 
I think Eddie Graham would like to do more of that that spread type stuff. It's kind of what was his mo before getting to UK, and he's never really been able to to run what I think is his exact offense just because of the personnel and, and the style of, of, of guys that UK has on the roster right now. But just finding ways to get Bowden into open space uh, would be a big part of it. You mentioned Rondell Moore in one of his first games uh, with Purdue. You know, on paper, Rondell Moore wasn't a better prospect than Lynn Bowden. Right, and, yeah. And, and I think Lynn Bowden was probably considerably higher in the overall rankings. Yep. And and look what they're able to do with him, you know, right away. And you you watch some of that game, you're like, man, this guy's just running free. There's nobody around him. And I, I don't know what the exact answer is, X's and O's wise. Some some other people will probably be able to describe that better. But you never get a chance, really, to see Bowden in open space. Yeah, it seems very forced to me. And I, I think at some point he's going to start to take steps forward. But right now, I just got to be honest. I mean, the results, the production don't match the hype. And I don't lay all of that at his feet. I just think, at at least to this point, it's felt like they're trying to force a square peg in a round hole. And they got to, yeah. With with last year, you could even say, you know, he's never played receiver before. So I kind of give him a pass. Right. When when we talk about, you know, going into his 14th, 15th game. I, I give a pass on the on the first twelve or thirteen because simply he had never been a wide receiver. Yeah, still expected to see a little bit more flashes, but this year, you know, we kind of all bought in going into the thing that he was going to be an impact guy, and and through the first week, we we just didn't see any signs of them finding a way to utilize him in that manner. I think in very limited action last year, he had one down-the-field catch that Drew Barker really fit in nicely to him. That might have been in a... I'm not sure if that was in the blowout against Mississippi State or if it was a different game. Um, But in the first game against uh, Central Michigan, every single pass to Bowden was like right at, behind, or just in front of the line of scrimmage. There was nothing over the middle. And he and David Bouvier were lined up in the slot. And Bouvier is working the seam, and he's going over the middle of the field, and Bowden just isn't getting the ball in those situations. So I don't know what, what the solution is, but that's that's got to be – for them to take the offense to the next level, he's got he's to gotta be more of a part of it. What about defensively? Um, I'm of the mind – okay, there's no doubt – Florida looked really good against Charleston Southern. Dan Mullen does a phenomenal job with quarterbacks everywhere he goes. I think it's safe to say he's going to figure out that quarterback situation. But I'm not quite buying into Felipe Franks yet until he does it. If he does it against Kentucky and against Tennessee, it's still going to get harder after that. But I'll be more of a believer. I think Mullen could have run in some touchdowns last week, and those five touchdowns were him trying to build Franks' confidence and kind of get in a rhythm. I'm not totally ready to buy into to, to Florida Felipe Franks offensively. I think Kentucky can, can cause some problems for him. How do you think Kentucky matches up defensively? Yeah, I, I think fairly well, I, actually. When, when I went back and watched them against Central Michigan, I, I thought there were some really encouraging things from that game tape to take from defensively. Mark Stoops pointed out this week that you know they were still off a little bit fundamentally and and technique wise on a few plays that could have helped them look even better and and you'd like to have that pass uh, uh, well not pass interference but the targeting and the personal foul against Westry back because that really skewed uh, points and their their game stats quite a bit right. allowing that drive to continue. Yep. But other than that, 
really, really solid, really 11 guys flying around and rallying to the football. And maybe for an opener, some of the best tackling that I've seen from a Kentucky defense. There just weren't a whole lot of uh, missed tackles. And that was backed up. I think there was a post uh, I saw from one of the football analytics sites that said, you know, Kentucky was fourth or fifth in the SEC the first week uh, for, you know, lowest percentage of uh, missed tackles. And uh, usually Kentucky's at the other end of that spectrum. Uh, in, in, in the past, that was extremely encouraging. I think they're going to give Franks uh, a lot tougher look than he experienced in the, the first week, to say the least. And, and it may have been a little bit of fool's gold uh, for the Gators and, and how easy it came. Because you even saw as that game progressed, uh, not not quite as effective as the game moved along. And, and some signs there that, that – uh, you know, maybe he isn't entirely a different player, but that system has clearly uh, made a bit of a difference with him and, and his mindset. And it concerns me somewhat in that uh, the Mullen RPO system has, has given uh, Mark Stoops and, and Matt House or whoever the defensive coordinator was at the time uh, some problems ever since uh, Kentucky has been facing them. Yeah, they did get over the hump once against Dan Mullen. That was not one of uh, one of Mississippi State's better teams in recent memory, and obviously Austin McGinnis's leg was the difference there at the end. But you know, Mark Stoops has played his teams at Kentucky have played Florida tougher on average than probably any Kentucky coach during the streak. Some of that, I think, is undoubtedly because you're talking about you know a down period for Florida. And Kentucky has narrowed the talent gap. I think you have to credit Mark Stoops for some of it. They've been resilient in a couple of those games. They've played, um, they played. They haven't been afraid of Florida. Um, there was the one blowout the last time they were in the swamp. But, you know, I, a couple of times recently it's felt like going into the game, well, is this the year Kentucky breaks the streak? This year it seems like there's less of a palpable sense of that. It seems like more people are, I don't want to say dreading the game, but you see it with the spread opening at 15. I think it's still at about 14 right now. Um, probably because of the quarterback play, wouldn't you say? Kentucky's quarterback play in week one is the main reason for the spread and maybe people not being as bullish on the upset chances? Yeah, you, you have to think so. And as you were saying that, even the thought crossed my mind, if they had Steven Johnson right now, I think you'd see a lot of people picking Kentucky to win this game. Right. Um, it, it might be closer to maybe 60-40 or 65-35, you know, but I think there would be a significant amount of people that thought Kentucky had more of a fighting chance. But when Vegas lays down a, a two-touchdown spread, that's a giant red flag for me. And, uh, you know, when we were going through making our predictions on the game, that was something that, that kind of hit me. I was I was prepared to pick a little bit closer score until I started thinking about how, uh, you know, the wise guys uh, think there's a two-touchdown gap here. Yeah, it's it's an interesting situation because I think we probably feel similarly. Like, when when I look at these teams position for position and how they match up all over the field, like, I could see Kentucky stopping the run. I could see Kentucky getting after Felipe Franks. I thought they were surprisingly good on special teams last week. Um, I could see them running the ball with some success on Florida. I don't know what to expect the passing game, but they match up so well with Florida personnel-wise compared to the past. Some of that's because Florida hasn't recruited, especially the offensive line well in recent years. But 
But for me, it's like the circumstances of the game. Florida's quarterback trajectory seems to be trending up. Kentucky's very much of an, an unknown. Florida's crowd wasn't great against Charleston Southern. I think for a lot of Florida fans, this game is kind of going to feel like their opener. It's a night game. It's an SEC game. Um, and they blocked a couple of punts. Like Florida hasn't blocked a whole lot of kicks recently, and, and Kentucky fans certainly had scars, you know, from, from recollections of, like, special teams nightmares in the swamp in the past. So I, it's just hard for me to see the big plays, the momentum-shifting plays breaking towards Kentucky in this game. But I think they're going to have to make that happen. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the punter is going to be in the spotlight, the new punter. Yeah, Max Duffy. he's your MVP Dude. pick. <laughs> yeah, and I, th- I think some people misread that as, you know, I kind of jokingly said at the risk of, uh, you know, making a Steve Spurrier joke about, you know, Kentucky's punter was really good today. That's because Spurrier got to see him 14 or 15 times in some of those games. I don't think, you know, Kentucky's going to have to punt a ton of times uh, like that, but they are going to have to punt a little bit and certainly more than they did last week. And if they do, it's imperative that the field get flipped. And I think we saw some signs from uh, – Duffy last week that he's capable of, of doing that and has a lot of potential in his leg. And the, the only question mark for me is, you know, is that unit prepared for the kind of aggressive, uh, you know, special teams uh, block unit that, that Florida typically comes after you with? And they're going to probably have some wrinkles that they haven't shown uh, to get pressure on the punter. And we, we've seen it time and time again that, you know, they turn those plays into huge momentum swings. Uh, down there in their place. And uh, for Kentucky to have any kind of chance to win this game, there can't be any breakdowns in special teams. Yeah, that's something they definitely have to avoid. Florida, the skill, position, talent on offense, especially you think about Tyree Cleveland, you think about Hammond, you think about you know Swain and now Van Jefferson transferring from Ole Miss has certainly been on the rise and I but I, I have a feeling that Florida is going to try to establish the run I think um, they're they're trying to mold that offensive line and, and to create the kind of physicality they did not have in the first week they're going to have to have they're going to compete with teams like Georgia and stuff so I think Kentucky is going to is going to really have to buckle up and, and anchor down in the trenches because I wouldn't be surprised if Florida runs the ball 45 times. Because Dan Mullins had success with that against Kentucky in the past. So, and you've said Quentin Bohana. I think you uh, you you kind of responded to my five players to watch for Kentucky. Quentin Bohanna was one of yours for Kentucky just for that reason. He's going to have a huge task in front of him trying to slow down that Gator running game. Absolutely, yeah. Those, those interior guys – I. And, and with the heat and humidity down there, they'll probably have to shuffle in a, a lot of guys on, on the U.K. side to try to slow that down. But in my memories of the Dan Mullen offense is kind of they hit you with the running backs between the tackles quite a bit. And, and some of the RPO stuff with the quarterback is around the edges. So you've got to be, first and foremost, really stout against the inside run game to have any kind of chance to slow down the other stuff. Do, I mean, do you think there's any way that if let's say Kentucky like loses this game, is it a, is it a foregone conclusion that the fan base is going to melt down and check out? I mean, do, do, at this point, like in my experience, that's just what Kentucky fans do when they lose to Florida. I'm not saying they're never going to get back on board. That there's never going to be a good crowd at. 
Kroger this season, but it just seems like people are so sick of the streak and so fed up and embarrassed by the streak and demoralized by it that there's going to be a huge dip in interest, frankly, in the short term if they, if they lose this game. Even though they're two touchdown favorites, it's almost unfair, but, but that's how it feels to me. What do you think? Yeah, it, in a sense, I think the fan base is still trying to recover from that game last year. Yeah. In a lot of ways. And I, I think Kentucky took some big hits and in season tickets and and other, you know, just overall fan excitement. You can kind of trace it back to that game, even though Kentucky recovered nicely and, and put together a, a, what I would label a solid season. Uh, not a great season because they had a chance to win two or three more games than they did. But this is kind of a tough spot. You, you've got this game where they probably should lose. Um, going by the, the Vegas spread that we we talked about earlier. And then you you come back and you play Murray State. So no matter what you do in that next game or how well you play in that one, nobody's really going to buy anything that they see, <laughs> you know, based on Kentucky versus Murray State. It'll be another week uh, before they get to Mississippi State and then South Carolina after that before I think people start making their true evaluations of where this UK team stands. But I've, I've made this point a lot leading up to the season, uh, getting looking ahead to those two home games against State and South Carolina, two games that on paper look like winnable games where you, you can defend your home turf, but challenging nonetheless. Those are the ones that absolutely have to be taken care of because you've got big blue madness looming right behind it. And we all know what the hype has been of for that team, and it, it, it feels like a cliche. It, it makes me cringe at times when I hear it from outside sources who uh, <laughs> talk about Kentucky fans always looking forward to, to basketball. But this is a season, I think, where if they don't have momentum, you know, at the end of this month, that there's a very high likelihood of what you laid out. Uh, transpiring and, and that interest level taking a big dip. You're right, though. It is different when outside sources say it because they're just kind of sloppy about it and flip it. They don't understand that Kentucky football fans have been so long-suffering and want so badly to have a different narrative to latch onto. The good thing about that Murray State game on September 15th is even if they, lo- if they lose to Florida, that's a game to get back on track even if you have an emotional letdown and you're just not there, you're checked out. If they beat Florida... It helps them avoid the emotional letdown because they can probably survive. So I think that game is well-placed on the schedule. It's just starting to hit me how difficult the, the front half of this schedule is, you know, especially in SEC play because Mississippi State, I know they're, they're ranked 18th right now, but I think Mississippi State's the kind of team that could beat just about anybody on a given Saturday. It wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked if they give Alabama a heck of a game this year. I think very highly of the, of that Mississippi State team this year, and I think Moorhead's the perfect coach to step into a situation with a lot of talent and a good quarterback situation. And South Carolina is, is going to be no pushover. Then you go to College Station. I mean, they for them to have the kind of season a lot of fans want or expect, they need to probably be 3-3 three and three coming out of the first half of this this schedule. At, wor- at, at worst, 2-4. and four. And it's just... it's. You know, two and four should be should be fairly easy, but getting to three and three is not going to be easy. No, not at all. I mean, the, the, any of those other three games that you'll be seeking a win from uh, to be even at three and three are all going to be tough. I mean, I could see 
I really couldn't see Kentucky winning all three, especially since they got to go to A and M. Right. Um, but but I could see them losing all three, and uh, you know that that would be tough. Uh, that'd be tough to rebound from. But it, it's kind of a inverse schedule from what we've seen in recent years, where Kentucky's gotten off to these uh, great starts a lot of times, and then hit the, the harder part of the schedule in a second half. And it, it looks like this one's a little more top heavy, and there's you know a little bit more of a manageable edge to the end. Of the season. Yeah. Jeff, thank you for uh, for joining us. Thanks for all the work that you're doing at the site that you do every week. Fantastic job. Have a good day, man. All right. Thanks, Justin. Thanks a lot. That was uh, Jeff Drummond, our managing editor, and he he does a great job for us. And I always I love his expertise. When we brought him on to the team, um, you know, I, how long ago was it? More than a year ago now, before the last football season, just before I wanted to get him on board because he's such a respected voice and he's a professional and he's somebody that Kentucky fans know that they can trust. He's going to give them a fair shake and his familiarity with the program is, is second to none. So I'm, I'm somewhat excited about this Kentucky Florida game. If they win it, you know, I'm going to give them a lot of props because it seems to me like the general tone of the fan base going into this game is very different than it was a year ago Three years ago when they hosted them at the night game and they lost 14-9. to Four years ago when it was Mark Stoops' first real chance to beat him and they were in the swamp and should have been a delay of game call that won it for Kentucky, but but they ended up falling 36-30. to Feels different um, just, just because of the arrival of Dan Mullen, the quarterback questions going in the swamp for the reasons I've laid out. Um, I will say people have doubted Mark Stoops' teams before, and there have been times in those conditions, South Carolina last year, when they have when they have overperformed relative to expectations, they have played a better game, a more sound game. They've executed sometimes better on the road. Tom Leach pointed that out to me yesterday. Sometimes they have played better on the road. Maybe getting away from some of the expectations, some of the distractions, um, getting a new routine, and just focusing on the game, bonding on the road, and you feel like it's us against the world. Maybe that's what this team needs. And the good news is I think they match up well with Florida at most spots. But it is what it is. It's a 14-point spread. Usually those do not go the way of the underdog. But stranger things have happened. This can be a game that a lot of national attention's on. I'm sure they're going to talk about it on college game day because of the Dan Mullen factor, because it's a it's a weak slate of games. But I hope everybody's ready for the game. It's a night game. It's going to go very deep, and our coverage is going to extend late into the night. We're going to be posting analysis Report card grades, our own. We're going to be posting in-depth stats and analytics that our partnership with Pro Football Focus is allowing us to do. Uh, and we'll be touching base with recruits to get their feedback on uh, on the game and where they stand on Kentucky as well. So, once again, I'm Justin Rowland. Jeff Drummond was with me today. Thank you for listening. Share, spread the word, rate us on iTunes, subscribe, continue listening and reading at the site. I really appreciate all of you. Have a great day. And enjoy the game.